Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. So we're in a new year. This is a new day. This is a new way. Everything uh, that we just heard sung about. But sometimes, I heard somebody say a long time ago, um, progress isn't always discovering something new. Sometimes it's rediscovering an eternal, precious truth. Why don't you stand with me as we read from the scripture? From Genesis chapter 22, we're told, On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy, that's his son Isaac, and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. The two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the offering, my son. Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Lord, may you speak to us from your word of those eternal truths that transform our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, a recent poll, we're not too far from Christmas, so I'm still thinking about it. In fact, we might acknowledge that a little bit later, a little bit more. But a recent poll uh, had said that 75% of Americans have actually forgotten the real meaning of Christmas. They don't believe the real meaning is, is understood anymore. That was 42% strongly agree, 33% basically agree. So in other words, Christ is not in Christmas anymore. Uh, but even when he is, sometimes I think it's a baby in a manger and we sing, come let us adore him. But we, we sometimes miss beneath that, that beautiful picture the heart of the whole story, the, the truth, that eternal truth that transforms us. Do we really grasp the impact of who that is? And so before Christmas, we had begun a series called Origin Story, where we've been looking at the origins, the, the, the book of Genesis in the Bible, which speaks about the beginnings of all things. And we've walked through several things, a few of which I will tie in as we're talking today. But we're at a point right now where I wanted to continue that. We're going to continue that series, and uh, we're going to focus a little bit on this most well-known, probably one of the most well-known stories in Scripture, the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. I think I need to start that off with, an, with a story that I'd heard so that we can really grasp the impact of it. Because I think sometimes we can read something in Scripture, something of this deep transformative truth, but it doesn't come close to home. It's just centuries removed, and it's involving people that, that had these big names, you know, and, and these fancy titles. And, and so we just, we're not exactly sure how we can feel the impact of that story. Well, there was something recently, it, it's a little bit different in some of the details from the story of Abraham and Isaac, but it, it kind of thrusts the point home. I was reading a story about one of the survivors of the uh, San Bernardino shooting in 2015. You all might remember that. 
There was a, an event in San Bernardino, California, in which an active shooter came in. And this was uh, 27-year-old Denise Pereza who was recounting the story because she was there. Now imagine if you had been in her shoes. So she says, it was Wednesday morning, 10.55 a.m., we were seated next to each other at a table, her friends and her, joking about how we thought a large clock on the wall might be broken because time seemed to be moving so slowly. She said, I never would have guessed that only five minutes later, we would be huddled next to each other under the same table, using a falling share as a shield from over 60 rounds of bullets being fired across the room. Imagine being in that moment suddenly. The interesting thing is it wraps up is it says that the, the shooters saw her and they took aim at Denise. And yet when the dust had settled, Denise was fine. Nothing had happened to her. We'll get back to that. Abraham found himself in a somewhat similar life or death situation. Now the difference is, is you would expect something like that from an active shooter, right? But what do you do when it appears as though God is your adversary. What do you do in that moment? In Genesis 22, we see this story in which Abraham, who had been called by God, who had been promised by God that he would be given a tremendous blessing, a blessing that would ring throughout the ages, through the generations, throughout the whole world even, and to many beyond Abraham, suddenly found himself in a situation, put yourself in those shoes, where he didn't know what to make out of it. And it begins here. We're going to walk through this story a little bit at a time, and let's just unfold that together, and let's live it together. And then we'll ask ourselves how this transforms our lives and who this God is. Genesis 22, it says, Sometime later, God had tested Abraham. Now, that sometime later means he was in the land of uh, people that didn't really follow God. And even though he had taken steps of faith to follow God, he had begun making some agreements with them, some contracts, and we're told that he lived there. He stayed faithful to God, but he was living in their land, surrounded by that influence for quite a bit of time. And so perhaps this was a moment in which God had to find out where Abraham stood. So that was a part of the story here. But God called out to him and he said, Abraham, and that's interesting. We had heard in the origin story before in the series that God changed his name at some point. His name was Abram which meant uh, exalted father. God changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of many. And the reason he did is he says, I'm making you a promise. Because of your faith in me, I'm making you a promise that you are going to have descendants more than you can count. And you're going to bless the whole world. All the descendants of the world are going to be blessed and all the nations because of you. And yet here was God calling out, reminding him in a sense of that promise by using that name and so Abraham replies to him and he says, here I am. It's hard to grasp what that, the sense of, of, of those words, but it's more than just I'm right here. Of course, does God not know where Abraham is? You think you can hide from God? That's a whole other message, by the way. We're not going to get there today. But he can't hide from him. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is I am present. I am ready. I am at your service. Interestingly, it's the same thing he says to his son later in the story. It doesn't look that way when we read it in our versions, but it's actually the same language. And so what he's saying is Abraham is a servant. He's got a servant's heart. He's ready and he's at the service of those that he can bless. And so that's his response to God. And then he gets hit with something he would never expect. 
God responds and says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Interesting wording. Hold on to that. Capture some of the details of the story. We're going to get back to that. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, that was, was Isaac, as he tells him here. There are some traditions, even some other religious uh, traditions, that, that actually teach that it was Ishmael that he was going to take and do what God asked of him here, and that's actually not correct. The oldest history we have is the Bible, and it tells us here that even though God loved his other son Ishmael, he provided for him. Again, we heard about that in previous weeks of this series, and provided for his mother, Hagar. Isaac was unique, and the reason Isaac was unique is because Isaac was the one God promised. And when God makes promises, those promises are always based on his character. They're always based on his work. They're never based on our work. They may be based on our response to him, but they're never based on our work. They're based on what God can do. Abraham had experienced an amazing work of God in which he gave him this child in an old age, in an age that he should not have been able, his wife should not have been able to bear this child. It was a miraculous birth. And part of the proof that God was speaking to him and guiding him and was going to fulfill these promises. And so here was Abraham holding this precious promise of God, or, or not holding, this was many years later, but he was, he was staring at his son, this precious promise of God, this, this irreplaceable promise. And God tells him, as we see in the following statement, and go to the region of Moriah, that's an important region, we'll get back to that, sacrifice him there. As a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. What? Hey, God, I, I left the land when you asked me to leave it. And part of the reason I left that land is because you said the people there worship pagan gods in which one of the chief things they were doing that was disgusting and repulsive to you was that they were sacrificing their children to those gods. And you're asking me to do What? Now, I want to disclaim something real quick here. For those of us who think God may make such a request, we got to remember the context here. Abraham was promised to have a child, and it miraculously happened. Abraham had, had miraculous proof that God was in communication with him. That's very different from us getting this idea. You get an idea like this, don't pray about it. Just go talk to somebody you know. Go talk to, go talk to a licensed counselor. Okay, this is not the kind of situation you want to engage in. But this was very unique. And it was coming from a God that he had proof was in direct contact with him and was asking him to do this, to release his only, his, his, his most precious son. 20 years ago, about 18 or so, my wife and I had a young baby that we presented one time at a service before God. The service, the point of the service was, what are you withholding from God that you're not willing to present? And we went up to the altar after that service, and we presented our newly born, he was only about a year and a half old, I believe, a year, year and a half old, our son, and we presented him there and said, he's yours. Do what you will. We never knew in that time that his, his future was going to involve autism and all these other challenges that we would have to walk through. And perhaps you've been there. Maybe you've been in a situation, like, like, like even like Denise, where you're, you're being asked to, to give more than you can. And you're not really sure what that means. Have you ever been there? And you don't know in the midst of that where God's promises are. Or we can't release that thing to God and entrust that he's got a purpose beyond what we can see in that moment. Because it just doesn't look good in that moment. 
I mean, coincidentally, I look back personally on my own story, we have learned far more through that situation than we ever would had it not been there. And we've been blessed in ways we never expected. I remember my wife saying all our other children were, you know, the dreams that we, we had, but our son was the dream we didn't know we had. And that, there's truth to that. Even in the midst of difficulty, there can be that. But sometimes we just can't see it. Abraham, I guarantee you, could not see any good end to this. And so here he was thinking about the promise that God made to him in Genesis 21 that we referred to earlier. Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. That's what it said in Genesis 21. God told him that. And now here's God telling him, I'm going to end that. Where's the promise in this? Where's the faithfulness of God? Do you ever get to a point, I'm just curious, in a new year, in a fresh year, maybe looking back at last year, we know we had a few challenges there, ever get to a point where you just frankly feel like maybe you made a mistake following God? That it's just difficult to maintain the path with him? That, that even though you know you want to hold the line, that even though you know it's worth holding the line, you, just, you feel that life circumstances sometimes, it just feels like maybe that's evaporating? If anything, know that you're not alone. That's where Abraham was. Would you be there in this moment? I think I would be. As faithful as Abraham was, he's not sure where this is going. He might be feeling like God was backing away from his promise. But God tests faith. He does do that. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. You will. But you can take heart in those moments because he's overcome this world. And so we can hold on even when we don't see the way. Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. Noah trusted the promiser in a ship that had no wheel and no rudder. Think about that one. You're going to get on that speedboat? Not me. You can go out in the middle of a hurricane? No wheel? No rudder? No. Joseph trusted the promiser while he sat in prison for years in Egypt. Every single day waking up going, I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure where God is going. Moses trusted the promiser to deliver millions of people out of that same oppressive environment. Not sure if it could happen. In fact, the first couple of times feeling like he fell on his face. Gideon trusted the promiser when he had an army of 30,000 people. And that great promiser comes in and says, no, 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 you don't need 30,000 people. You can do it with 1% of that. Oh, no problem, God. I'm ready to go to war. Now that you took away all the people. <laughs> you ever been there with God? Okay, I'm ready to deal with this thing, and it seems like everything's disappearing that I need. Daniel. Daniel and his friends, they trusted the promiser when they faced the fiery furnace. John the Baptist had to trust the promiser while he waited death in prison and sent word to Jesus asking if he indeed was setting captives free. I mean, that's what Jesus told him. I'm sending captives free, John, while John's sitting in prison. And he had to trust the promiser. And even in John's case, it, 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 he didn't really fully see the, the fulfillment of that in this world. But a promise delayed is not necessarily a promise unfulfilled. A promise delayed is not necessarily a promise unfulfilled. Genesis 22 continues on. So we see that Abraham responds this way when he faces this circumstance. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. How many people got up early this morning? I'm just curious. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Okay, now we know who didn't stay up late, and now I know the rest of you who did. 
I know everybody in here was up till 3 a.m. or later. I don't know how late Abraham was up that day, but he got up early. Think about that. I have a hard time getting up early, actually. In fact, I heard a story one time of a guy who had the same problem at work. He'd always show up a little bit late, and he was, he's like, I'm going to get fired. And his friend, his coworker, came to him at work, and he said, you know what? I've got something. I've got this stuff. You take it. It's all, neutral. It's all natural, but you take it. It's going to give you the best night's sleep you've ever had. You're going to feel refreshed. It's going to change your life. So the guy goes home. He decides, I'm going to take it. He takes it. He goes to bed. His head hits the pillow. He's out. Nothing. Not a, not a murmur. Not a sound. He never wakes up one time. He wakes up totally refreshed, energetic. He leaps out of the bed, looks at the clock. It's five in the morning. He's like, this is great. Takes a shower, rushes off to work, gets there. He's at work an hour and a half before anybody else. He's working away. He sees his boss walk in at the normal time. He walks up to his boss's office. He goes, I got in an hour and a half early today. And his boss says, okay, that's fine. But where were you yesterday? That's me sometimes in the morning. I'm just not a morning person. I'm more of a night person. Maybe Abraham was, I don't know, but he got up early. Think about that. After hearing what he heard, how was he able to even sleep? Maybe he didn't, I don't know, but it says he rose, he got up. I mean, do we, when, when God puts something out that's difficult for us to walk through, but we know We've seen his faithfulness before, but we're facing the situation now. We don't know how to move forward. We don't know how to find the way. Do, do, we, do, we, do we jump to that? Do we walk to that? Do we crawl to that? Do we generally ignore that? This is the challenge of faith, and we've all been there. And there's been times when we run, and there's been times when we crawl. But it comes back to that same question, can we trust the promiser? And so the story continues. Abraham moves forward, and, it's, and we're told he takes with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, two of them, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and we will come back to you. We will worship, and we will come back to you. You know, Denise and San Bernardino saw no way forward in that moment. There was no way forward. In many cases in our lives, there are many even here right now who have experienced things, even in the last week or two, I've been in contact with some of them, who don't know the way forward, who everything looks like a closed door. But God provides a way. And Abraham kind of knew this. He said, we will come back to you. He, he couldn't see a good end, but he trusted. He, we're told later in Scripture a little bit of an insight into this. In Hebrews chapter 11, and many, many centuries later, writer tells us that Abraham had faith that God could raise the dead. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11. He had faith that God could raise the dead. But think about this. He had, there had been no record of that happening up to this point. Nobody had. Jesus later on spoke the word and people leapt out of tombs, right? He himself came back from the dead. But that hadn't happened yet. That wasn't a, an occurrence that people were familiar with, anything that we, really, that we necessarily know about. And so Abraham had to trust that God has abilities to make a way where there is no way. Does God still raise the dead? Does, does, does he still make a way where there is no way? Can we trust the promiser? So Abraham 
takes the wood for the burnt offering, we're told, and he placed it on his son Isaac. Isaac carried the wood. And Abraham himself carried the fire, we're told, and the knife. That knife had to be cutting through his own heart. Anybody a parent in here? Can you put yourself in this moment? Walking this path? Saying, I've got to trust, but I know what I need to do? I actually believe, as much of this story is, that that's a picture not only of Abraham, but that's a picture of our Father in heaven too, because his heart bleeds for the destruction of this world. And I know that sounds strange because we're looking at it going, wait a minute, isn't he the one asking him to do this? Well, yeah, but we haven't gotten there yet, right? And so his heart bleeds for a world of pain, for a world of sin, for a world of brokenness. And yet here he is asking Abraham to do this. And so such a, a moment of, of tension. And we continue on. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son. Now, it's important to know this. Most commentators put Isaac at at least 25 years of old. Josephus, a Hebrew historian, Jewish historian of the times, puts him at 33 years old. Interesting age. At 33 years old. So this is not a young boy that's getting dragged along. I know up to this point, that might have been the picture you have in your mind. And if so, that makes the story even more complicated. But no, what you have here is two willing adults walking along. And Isaac's about to learn something. He says, Father... Abraham replied, yes, my son. There it is. Here I am, my son. The fire and the wood are here, he said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. For the second time, we're told the two of them went on together. They started together. Isaac is learning what's going on here, and they continue on together. He trusted his father, even as his father was trusting God. Now, Isaac wouldn't be stupid here. How many of you sitting there is telling, yeah, he's going to provide it. I don't see it. <laughs> Can you point it out to me before I take another step? And then I'm ready. He's not stupid. So he's looking around and he realizes something's going on here. And we'll see further proof of that. Abraham was 100 years old here. Isaac could have easily outrun him. He could have easily done anything it would have taken to get out of this situation at any point. But he submits to his father and they keep walking together. When you know that trusting the promiser is going to cost you something, how do you hold the line? You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it really comes down to who, who it is, isn't it? Doesn't it? It really comes down to the character of that person. If a, if a thief asks you for money to buy something important, do you trust him with it? I'm going to buy you something. You, no, you're not going to do that. What about your father in heaven who you trust your very life to, who, who has proven himself faithful many times, but now you're facing the situation you can't see this way forward. Do you trust? Isaac continued to walk forward, even as Abraham did. It continues on. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now again, at any point, Isaac could have ran off. Isaac is will, willingly submitting to this. And he reached out his hand and took the knife, most, most, some of the most difficult words in the scripture, to slay his son. At this moment, the world to Abraham, to Isaac, it's got to seem completely just cruel and uncaring. And they don't seem like they have anybody in their corner. This is the moment of a, of a test. And Denise was facing a cruel, uncaring world. 
You ever face a situation where people that should care for you don't? Or even more, more so, do you ever hit that situation where it feels like God should care, but maybe he doesn't? Because we find ourselves in those situations. And those are moments of testing. And those are moments when a way forward sometimes can't be found with eyes of sight, but only with eyes of faith, eyes of trust, and even patience in difficult times. Can we trust the promiser? Well, we know the story continues, and we'll move towards the ending here. But the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. We'll circle back in a minute. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. There it is again. I'm willing. I'm your, I'm your servant. What? Here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now, I know you fear God. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham, you get my heart. You're a man of faith, and what the action you took, you understand something through eyes of faith that you couldn't even see with eyes of sight. And I'm telling you now, don't lay a hand on him. That is not my way, but my way is even greater than that. So Abraham feared God. He held God in reverence. He, he understood and he trusted his purposes when he couldn't see a way. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. The ram's head was caught in the thorny thicket. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And it continues and wraps up the angel of the Lord again called from Abraham a second time after he had made that sacrifice and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, there it is again, because you understood that, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. I'm renewing that promise now. It will come to pass. Your son will bring it through. The one you thought was gone is back. I keep my promises. I provide a new way where there is no way. And so God fulfilled his promise and... The amazing thing as we sit here in this new year talking about a new day and a new life, we are that promise. And we're going to explore that more next week. But we are the promise that God made to Abraham because the scripture tells us that everyone who puts faith in Jesus Christ are children of God. They are the sons of Abraham by faith, even as he was a son of God by faith. And so God fulfilled that promise to make a whole family of all the nations because Abraham trusted the promiser. Now that's all amazing and this statement to me always catches it that's in the heart of that story. Genesis 22 verses 13 through 14 tells us, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide and to this day, that's to their day, this was a day many years later, centuries later when the writer was writing this. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. But notice what it says. Not on the mountain of the Lord it was provided. It wasn't talking about the ram in that thicket. It said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. It is yet to be provided. What's the writer talking about? What are they telling us? What is the connection? Now I know that this is nothing new, but sometimes progress in something new is seeing those eternal truths again. 
And for those of us who know this story and we know about Jesus Christ, we're connecting some dots, aren't we? That he was called to go to this region of Moriah. That region of Moriah is where the temple sat in Jerusalem. And just outside of that, on the slope of that mountain, is where Jesus would have been crucified. He walked that slope. He told him, take your son, whom you love. That was the first mention of love in the Bible when God said that to Abraham. And it's a language that would remind us of a father in heaven who would say, this is my son whom I love as Jesus was being baptized and prepared for his mission. Isaac was likely 33 years old, the same age in which one many centuries later would face death for sinners. They arrived on the third day, a significant number, as Jesus would lay in a tomb for three days. He placed wood on his son Isaac, and Isaac carried the wood not unlike one who would carry a wooden cross. Isaac chose that path, and the two walked together, even as the Father in heaven asked his son if he'd be willing to lay down his life for us, and he said, I will lay down my life for the sins of all. Isaac placed the wood on his shoulders, and his, or, or Isaac was placed on the wood to lay down on the wood, even as Jesus laid against that wood. And there were two others hovering nearby, we're told, two servants, even as centuries later, there'd be two thieves on the cross nearby. As the father prepared to take his life, and Abraham took a knife to slay his son, he was asked to at least go through the motion of picking up a spear tip to go into the heart of his son, but he never had to follow through, unlike centuries later, when a spear would thrust through the heart of the Savior. And a ram, not a lamb, a ram, a male adult sheep was provided to replace Isaac with its head caught in a thicket of thorns. Not unlike a lamb of God who would wear a crown of thorns, shamed in the place of those of us who should have bore the shame for our sin. And amazing as that all is, and I find that truly amazing, What is almost more amazing to me is that the New Testament writers never one time parallel Isaac to Jesus. They saw all this. They knew that Isaac was what you'd call a a type, a foreshadowing of, of Jesus to come. But they never directly called that out. And I think I might know why. Because Jesus wasn't only in this story as a parallel theme. He was there. Because we learned some weeks ago in this series that the angel of the Lord was a specific name given to God himself who could appear and be made manifest in a way that God never could in his fullness because we can't see God and live. But this was a unique expression of God before the the cross, before the incarnation of Jesus, that we could see and, and communicate with this appearance of God who would then later become enfleshed as Jesus, the angel of the Lord. And that's what we were told. It was the angel of the Lord in Genesis 22 called out and said, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't touch him. Don't do anything. I'll take care of it. Jesus was there. Do you know what saved Denise that day in San Bernardino? It wasn't timing. It wasn't the good nature of those guys. Her life wasn't spared because they turned the other way, but because a valiant man named Shannon Johnson shielded her body with his own. He saved her life. 
She said, I can't recall every single second that played out that morning, but I will always remember his arm wrapped around me, holding me as close as possible behind that chair. And amidst all the chaos, she said, I'll always remember him saying these three words, I got you. This morning we're taking communion. We're going to receive communion and we're going to recognize that unlike that situation in which in that moment Denise was innocent from anything that these guys were choosing to do, the truth of this world in a general sense for Denise and you and me and Abraham and Isaac even is that we all share sin. Every single one of us are not innocent before God. We actually deserve to be on that altar. God would be just to end our lives. And yet, he chose to do what he did. If you need further proof of that, let me just quickly read this for you. This is called proof. If you ever question that we don't all share that nature of sin, listen to these questions. Do we not dupe? Do we not lie? Do we not sin and do we not die? Do we not kill? Do we not bait? Do we not fill our hearts with hate? Do we not envy? Do we not lust? Do we not self-justify as though we must? Are we not smug? Are we not rude? Are we not cruel and constantly feud? Are we not all this, although we try to blame all others while our faults deny? Will we open our eyes to see the truth, the need for a savior? We are the proof. We're sinners. And we need God. And when Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide a lamb for the offering, my son. I hear those words echoed centuries later by a heavenly father to us. God will provide a lamb for your sin, my son. He is offering his son as a sacrifice for our sin. And that's what we celebrate when we receive communion. If communion is something that you don't understand yet, then you need to really think on this moment. We don't require that you are a member of this church or anything of that nature, but it is important that you're a follower of Christ, that you understand what he gave, that, that God himself, the incarnate one, who took on flesh so we could see him and know him. He came for a purpose, and that was to go through everything that he illustrated to Abraham that day, to be the one who would not escape that cross and that wood and that spear so that we could be free. That was his promise. That's what he provided for each one of us, you and me, if we would simply receive that. And so... If you're prepared to do that, and you can do that very simply if you've never done it before, all you need to do is say, Lord, I know I've sinned. I know that I justly deserve to be cast aside from you, condemned, killed even, and to spend eternity apart from you. But out of your mercy, you gave Jesus in my place, and I received that today. Then welcome to the family, Abraham's family, and you can receive communion today. For all who do, I just ask that we hold it and we'll receive it together after this moment. So, Father, we come to you this moment and we prepare to receive communion.
we prepare to receive that ancient of pictures, God, of your son and the sacrifice that he gave, that he didn't withhold, so that we could receive your promise of a new way where there is no way. Lord, help us as we reflect on this. The one who, as the scripture told us, was despised and rejected. One who was left there alone to take this on. Help us, God, to understand who he is and what he did for us. And may we hear those words that he says to us. I got you. I got you. As we move into a new year, remember, there will be trouble. There's going to be times we don't understand. We're not really sure what God's doing. We don't know if we see a way forward. Jesus says, I got you. He cares for you. Hold on every moment of that. And for the good moments too, oh, we'll keep celebrating and thanking him for that too. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.